You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. take special note of his not being able to worship God. He thought that that was the greatest evil that had come upon him. And I think that that speaks volumes of David's desire to want to know God and to worship God. You know, may God put that same kind of a desire within each and every one of us. You know, looking forward to those opportunities to be able to come together in a facility like this one to study God's Word to worship the Lord, to gather together with our brothers and sisters. Whenever we're distraught or caught up in several frustrating situations, we can easily lose perspective if we're not careful. Perhaps most easiest of perspectives we could lose sight of is the importance of being able to gather with God's people. In today's message, Pastor Mike reflects on the heart of David, who felt that the greatest evil out of Saul's pursuit of him was his lack of ability to worship. In his study, you'll be encouraged to ask yourself how much value you place on worshiping the Lord with others. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 26 as he continues his message, God's Complete Protection. David went on to reason with the king. And as he's reasoning with the king, I want you to take special note of his phrasing and in the way that he responded to the king. Is that you, David, my son? And he shows great humility in what he is about to share with the king, verses 18 and 19. And he said, why does my Lord, notice the way that he refers to him as his Lord, Thus pursue his servant. For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please let my lord, the king, hear the words of his servant, David. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out of this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Okay, so David suggests here that there are only two possible causes for the king's actions that is seeking to take David's life. And and notice he offers these suggestions, there are two of them, to give Saul an easier way to repent without admitting that they originated with him. That is the causes of him seeking David's life. He's making it as 
easy as he possibly can for the king, Saul, to repent. So what were those suggestions? The first of which was that the Lord had stirred him up. The Lord had stirred him up to seek to take David's life from him. So in that suggesting, he's referring to the real problem isn't between Saul and David, but is rather between God and David. And Saul was just being an instrument in the hand of God to judge David for some wrongdoing. But of course, that wasn't the case. But notice, he goes on to declare, in which case, if that was the case, Saul should let David know, that is, if the Lord had stirred him up, and that's the reason why he was seeking his life as an instrument of judgment, so that he could offer the appropriate sacrifice to make peace with God and once again be restored to favor, not only with the king, but also with God. So that's his first suggestion. But then secondly, the second cause, notice here, he refers to the slanderous, malicious words of evil and unprincipled men whom had inflamed the heart of the king against him. Well, if the latter was true, if that was in fact the cause of Saul seeking to take David's life from him, then God would punish them for their actions. But take note of the results of their evil uh, deeds. And I think that he's actually referring to the Ziphites here. Notice here, what was the result of their evil uh, deeds? We'll go back to verse 19, the latter part. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. So think about that. David knew there was no longer a safe place for him in all of Canaan. And thus, he had been compelled to go into exile far from the places where God was worship, according to verse 19. And let me tell you something. David was a worshiper of God. He longed to worship God. He loved to enter into the place where God was worshipped. He loved to gather together with other people who were worshiping God. Remember, at this time, the tabernacle was located at Nob, according to chapter 21. But because of Saul's pursuit of David, he was no longer able to go into that area to worship uh, God. So anyway, David here is referring to the men of Ziph who betrayed David's whereabouts twice. And once again, uh, you know, of all of the things that were vexing uh, David, you know, take special note of his not being able to worship God. He thought that that was the greatest evil that had come upon him. And I think that that speaks volumes of David's desire to want to know God and to worship God. You know, may God put that same kind of a desire within each and every one of us. You know, looking forward to those opportunities to be able to come together in a facility like this one to study God's word, to worship the Lord, to gather together with our brothers and sisters. What a great encouragement it is to be able to gather together and just see each person that's here, for example, and lifting their hands up to the Lord and worshiping him and entering into that fellowship and communion with uh, God. What an encouragement that is. 
But all of that has been now absent from uh, David's experience. So that was probably the thing that vexed David most of all. Well, anyway, the men of Ziph sought to injure David, suggesting that he plotted to kill Saul. And they continued that persistent slander, and thus they also continued to stir up Saul. Listen, slander, gossip, malicious innuendos, defamation of character, unjust criticism are like plagues in our lives, in our communities, and in our churches. This certainly should be absent within our churches. Oh, the harm of the tongue. It topples governments. It wrecks marriages. It ruins careers. Destroys reputations. Causes heartaches. Causes innocent people to suffer unjustly. Listen, here's my advice. Here's the exhortation. Before you repeat a story that you might have heard about another individual, and before you go off and begin to gossip, ask yourself, first of all, is that true? Is it fair? Is it necessary for you to even say anything about another person? And if not, this is what you need to do. Just simply be quiet. Just bring it before the Lord. Pray for that individual. Listen, a lot of my counseling over the many years of being a pastor has to do with the hurtful criticism placed upon people and its devastating consequences. Of all places, this should not happen within the church. We're not to reject people. We are to love them. We are to embrace them, be there for them. You know, I think the sins of the tongue inflict more harm on the body of Christ than any other transgression. And you know, a lot of the scriptures address this particular subject. Like, for example, in the book of James, in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things, a little member of the body in comparison, and boasts great things, the things that come out of our mouths. See how great a forest, a little fire, a kindles, just with a little spark. It can ignite an entire forest and devastate thousands upon thousands of acres of, of forest land. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on the fire by hell. You know, in the book of Proverbs, in the book of Wisdom, Solomon exhorts us, reminds us, in chapter 15, in verse 4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. So choose your words wisely. You can build up or tear down with them. And also remember that the Lord hates the sowing of seeds of discord among the brethren. You know, it would serve us well to pray the prayer of the psalmist that's recorded first in the 141st Psalm in verse 3. Set a watch before our mouths and keep the door of our lips so that we will not sin with our tongues. Well, anyway, let's go back to our text here in chapter 26. Anyway, in brief, broken sentences, as again, David addresses the king 
and offers up these different causes of why Saul was trying to track him down and take his life from him. Saul responds, and in brief, broken sentences, Saul expresses his remorse for his disillusional conduct. And in verse 21, let's go back to our text now. In verse 21 we read, Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. In other words, David didn't take his life from him. Indeed, I have played the fool. Now listen, we're going to come back to that phrase in just a moment. But basically, this sums up Saul's life in a nutshell. You see, Saul had played the fool. And at the conclusion of this message, we're going to come back to this phrase, and we're going to address it in its entirety. So that's going to happen in just a moment. But that basically was Saul's autobiography. I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Now, verse 21. Something else that I want to draw your attention to. It seems, to me anyway, both from the feel of this verse, what's recorded there, and Saul's subsequent actions, as we will see, that Saul isn't repentant at all, but only bitterly realizes that at this time, David once again had gotten the better of him, as before. His words in verse 25, just quickly jump ahead to verse 25, expresses this also. So I think that we can actually come to the correct conclusion when he said, you shall both do great things and also still prevail. You know, the Apostle Paul, addressing the subject of true repentance in 2 Corinthians in chapter 7, in verse 10, makes a great distinction, and rightly, between the sorrow of the world and the sorrow of godly repentance which needeth not to be repented of again. You know what I'm talking about? You know, when people get busted and they're more distressed over the effects of them being busted than actually hurting the heart of God. You know, they're more concerned about the consequences that they're now suffering because of their sin being uh, revealed, you see. And so there's a huge difference between godly sorrow, right, and true repentance. They're one and the same. So anyway, I just wanted to make that uh, distinction. And I don't believe that Saul at this time truly is experiencing godly sorrow here in this saying. Well, anyway, as a token of good faith, notice there in verse 22, David returns to Saul, his spear, and concluded his confrontation with the king by declaring, and it's recorded first in verses 22 and 23, so let's go back to our text. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. And obviously they did. May the Lord repay, now this is important, may the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness, and I think that David is referring to the way that he had just treated the king in not taking the life of God's anointed and just leaving it with God, dealing with him in mercy, you see. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today 
but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. So David here, emphasizing the saying of David, he says, may the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. And in the saying of David's, David is just simply trusting in God, who David understood blesses the righteous and the faithful. David knew the truth of, which is recorded for us in the book of Hebrews in chapter 6 and verse 10, before it was even written, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name. That is, in the way that we treat other people. Not trading evil for evil, but being merciful. You see, David understood the principle that Jesus spoke of in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 7 and verse 2, when he said, with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So think about the way that he treated Saul. David wanted the extra big scoop of God's mercy for himself. And so David gave Saul the extra scoop of mercy, and that generous measure of mercy will be a great blessing to David later on in life when he actually ascended to the throne and became the next king, as we will see as we continue to move through the remainder of 1 Samuel and then go on to 2 Samuel. You see, God deals mercifully with those who show mercy to other people. So this is just one of the laws that govern uh, the universe, and we can use this for our own uh, benefit. Well, anyway, as a token of good faith, then, as I mentioned before, David returns to Saul his spear and then concluded his confrontation with the king. Uh, as we just mentioned, Saul is touched by David's sincerity, and he states that he is sure he would do mightily and prepare and prevail, according to verse 25. Let's read that, and then we'll go back to that phrase, I have played the fool. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also still prevail. And so David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. And so at this time, Saul and David parted their ways, uh, never to see one another again. And uh, according to what's recorded verse in chapter 27 in verse uh, 14. Okay, so once again, as I mentioned before, I want to uh, go back to that phrase, I played the fool, which again really sums up Saul's life. It's sort of like his autobiography. You know, something very interesting here. Saul really knew what was in him. And I found this to be true. When we are caught in an unguarded moment, as was Saul, the truth begins to be broadcast. We begin to understand something about ourselves. I have played the fool. And I'm trusting that at the end of our lives, none of us would be able to stand in the place that Saul stood at this moment in time and say this about their lives. I played the fool. Now, why did Saul recognize and acknowledge the fact that he played the fool. Well, first of all, consider all of the advantages that God had given Saul. 
And Saul never used those advantages for his own benefit or to glorify God. For example, one of those benefits was that he was anointed by God to be Israel's first king. Secondly, he was anointed by God's Holy Spirit. Thirdly, he was surrounded by men, right, who would assist Saul in being the kind of a king that God wanted him to be as his advisors, as his protectors, as his leaders, to make Israel a great uh, nation. But he never used those uh, advantages that had been given him by God. Remember, the people cried out that they wanted a king over them. This was never a part of God's plan. God wanted them to continue to be a theocracy. That is God simply being their ruler, God being their king, but because of their consistent desire and asking God to bring a king over them, that demand that they brought before God, God made Saul their first king. But you see, God wanted to use Saul to continue to rule through him. But you see, Saul disobeyed the Lord. And Saul never really completely and fully surrendered and yielded his life so that God could accomplish his purposes uh, through uh, Saul and use him as an instrument through which God could continue to reign. Do you understand that? Did I explain that correctly? You know, even though he had set up a king and responded to their cries for a king, if he had the right man in place, God would continue to be the sovereign ruler over the nation of Israel. So God wanted to use Saul as his instrument to that end. But because of the fact that Saul was disobedient and wasn't fully surrendered to God, that never was able to be uh, accomplished. And his purposes were never successful. And so those tremendous possibilities. But that's the reason why, and that's the explanation of why Saul testifies of the fact that I've played the fool. Okay, so let's bring this down to personal uh, terms as we close out this message. I trust and I hope to God that none of us will ever stand in the place that Saul has in this account and say, I've played the fool. Now, what could be the possible explanation for us to make that same testimony concerning ourselves? Well, in the same way, if we never get to the place of being completely and totally surrendered to God, our lives surrendered to God, you can be sure at the end of your lives, you will be able to, you will say, in fact, as Saul did, I played the fool. And so God help us to completely and totally surrender our lives, ourselves, to God. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Samuel. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can listen online. Just go to the Resources tab. 
Otherwise, you can find them on oneplace.com and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. Would you like to connect with us on social media? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just follow the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today. And we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House.